It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Sunday night edition of Heat Wave Sports as we wrap up the week in sports. But tonight's going to be mostly a college football situation as we continue our college football previews moving to kick off on August the 28th. If you'd like to join in tonight, of course, pick up your phones and dial 702-876-1340. That'll get you on the Heat Wave hotline or over on Twitter at HW Sports at Tom Barton Sports. And just a quick programming note, if you missed out on last night's show, the next couple weeks will be a little, uh, I guess the word will be wonky with the schedule. So next week, because of Raiders football, preseason football, we are off Saturday on Sunday. The following week, off Saturday on Sunday. So we'll be on the 15th and the 22nd. And then the 28th and the 29th, Tom Barton, you and I are both out of this city, out of the respective cities we're going to be in, we're on the road. So we're off the 28th and 29th, heading into September, the big weekend, the big holiday weekend as we get ready for week one of the NFL. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, I, it's football, football, and football. I mean, today we're going to sit back. We're going to talk about football. Um, we're starting the show with football. I talked about my show this morning on Sports Garden Network about football. And, you know, you can say what you want about football uh, and being basketball being your favorite sport or hockey or in our case uh, baseball being our, uh, but we know that what moves the needle Tim more than anything else it's football, football yeah. right I mean a mediocre football st- a story is going to dominate the headlines over a, a huge story in another sport um, and that is just the reality of the situation so while we're sitting here and we're sitting here mid-July, and we're talking about, okay, look, the pennant chases, and last night we had a little MVP conversation that got people riled up, and, well, that's all good, and the NBA. and Look, if anything broke significant in football, Tim, we scrapped the whole show. We talk about that because right. that's where, especially the NFL, is in the lexicon of the sports world. And we're sitting here now. You know in five Sundays – We'll be, talk, we'll be talking actual games. Five Sunday Doesn't seem like that long, right? No, and you know what's funny is that we always talk about uh, whenever you need something in a... There could be a group text, Tom. There could, it was we're in many. There could be uh, people that you don't necessarily know or you're meeting for the first time. And if sports comes up, football is always something that gravitates everybody together. Even tonight, we're in a group text... And our buddy Ron, former co-host on this show from at the inception, actually, he sent us a picture of him at a minor league baseball game tonight, right? So that's cool. We're all happy for each other to go out and enjoy sports. But what was the comment that kicked it off, right, was the jersey he was wearing, Tommy. And, and it's all funny because we all know each other and, and people listening to the show understand that Aaron Rodgers is not liked on this show. But he's wearing an a Rod jersey, and it automatically got 
a response text. Not all, you know, sometimes we don't always respond to everything, but that, no doubt about it, got a response. Well, yeah, look, it's a very ugly jersey. It's a very nice baseball field, right? It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you know what football is also, and you know, me and you could talk about baseball all day long. And if I walk into a bar somewhere, um, somewhere in New York, I'm not talking football. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm talking Yankees. I'm talking Mets. Right. If I walk into a bar in Boston, I'm talking Red Sox. I've done it down in Wrigley. You know, I got uh, obviously uh, my wife's family. I've mentioned it many times. Uh, from Chicago, I've done it over in Wrigley. You walk into a bar near Wrigley or restaurant or whatever. Hey, what are the Cubs doing? How are the Cubs doing? Hey, what? It, it's baseball so regionalized. It's so regionalized. But you know, no matter where you are in America, you can mention a football story and everybody knows it. It's a it's a situation where it really has just evolved ridiculous. I'll tell a quick story here. I was a Bears fan. Uh, I was a Bears fan. People go, why are you a Bears fan? Well, in 1985, I had a G.I. Joe of uh, William Refrigerator Perry, and they kind of just took over the, the sports world, right? But how, how am I a Bears fan in New York? I remember not being able to watch all the Bears games. Right, Neil Anderson and Jim Harbaugh and those guys. I didn't have to. I didn't watch all those games, and I would have to search and hope. And I, I remember it being a weird thing. I would mention Neil Anderson; people wouldn't know who he was. Uh, my best friend at the time was a massive Derek Thomas fan. We had to go search. You had to go search uh, to go find a Derek Thomas jersey because nobody knew who he was. We didn't know where could you find a Derek Thomas jersey. Think about where we evolved now. You know, you evolve to a point where everybody knows these guys. Everybody knows players on every team. And it's just become a, an absolute phenomenon where football has gone compared to every other sport. And and the thing about, especially the NFL, Tom, you and I will always uh, have disagreements with the way the NFL presents itself as a business and some of the decisions they make. But at the end of the day, to a... Let's just say a mainstream audience. That stuff doesn't matter to them, Tom. And, and you know, year after year, and we could talk about maybe de declining television ratings or this and that. Still, monetarily, that sport can't be touched. Well, I also think, you know what, I, I really do give a lot of credit, a lot of credit, uh, obviously, to the TV package, but to fantasy. You know, it's an easy fantasy situation. Look, I've been playing fantasy baseball forever, you know. But it's an easy fantasy situation. It's an easy situation to kind of grab a couple of your guys and go, okay, well, here it is. You know, you associate guys, guys that I know. I, well, I'm going to league with you, right, um, where we have guys from St. Louis, Jacksonville, uh, down in, in Chicago. I mean, they're all over the world. Some of them, I, I get a Christmas present from one of these guys. I've never actually met him, but we've just been in fantasy leagues for 17 years now together. But I know his guys. I know his players. I associate a quarterback to him. I associate a running back to him. It, I think fantasy really did bring it closer together where you get attached to these players. You get attached to these kind of teams. And then you follow. You wind up following a guy. Hey, you know what? He wanted me a couple of bucks. Oh, he was pretty good for me. I'm going to kind of follow him. I'm going to watch his career. I'm going to watch that game a little bit more closer. And, and I think that fantasy really, really helped the NFL to leaps and bounds that we can't even understand. No, hundred percent agree on that. So tonight, uh, a little bit before we went on air, Tommy, we we had some breaking news, and I don't want to start the show with that, but we'll just let everybody know that we will be discussing the the leaving or the uh, changing of the guard at UNLV as 
the athletic director Desiree Reed Francois will be departing to Missouri, so we'll get uh, I'll, we'll get in our thoughts on that. Uh, I know right you're after. very broken up about this, Tim. So I, I'm here to console you. I, I was considering not even bringing it up. I was so sad, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a second. But we we definitely need to start the show off. And you know, I was I was hit up with a couple texts. People were like, oh, "Are you going to talk about the Hall of Fame?" And I said, "No, we're not talking about the Hall of Fame." That that is not. Uh, Here's what we're going to tell you about the Hall of Fame. Great speech by by Peyton Manning. Hope he's the commissioner one day. Yeah, there you go. Right. He he uh he'd be a good politician, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. And uh. And he's on the right side of politics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> if you know what I mean, it's the right side of politics. Far right. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no, no Hall of Fame discussion tonight. Um, there there's a bigger story, and then we we do have college football to get college football previews to get to but but tommy you know the early this morning and and i didn't even know about it to our to our fellow uh member of the heat wave sports staff here chris Wynn sent us a text early in the morning that legendary and i'm not a florida state football fan nor was i necessarily a huge bobby bowden fan but legendary florida state head coach bobby bowden passed away at 91 tom a great great long life for bobby bowden but i know you have a little more insider info about Bobby Bowden because, I mean, look, you're, you're a Florida State fan. You know, th- that was the thing watching that. You're a Nebraska fan and a Florida State fan, and you have two opportunity to have two of the legendary head coaches there. So uh, I'll give you the floor on Bobby Bowden. I know there's, there's a lot you want to bring up. Yeah, look, let, let's, let's give tribute where tribute is needed. You know, Bobby Bowden did everything, generally speaking, the right way. And, and I mean everything in life uh, the right way. Look, Will he have, uh, you know, the legacy that maybe he deserves? Probably not. Probably not because he didn't decide to go coach Alabama, which they asked him to, right? Probably not because he decided to stay at Florida State and build up that program. People forget Florida State was like a women's school, <laughs> right? I mean, for years, uh, they didn't have this dominant program, and he, he brought them to their heights. But besides that, what he really did was he continued to instill – uh, the football coach that we all sort of know, right? I mean, you watch movies and TV. He has that Southern draw. He has uh, the, okay, I'm going to make you guys better. I- I'm going to I'm gonna be the supportive guy. Bobby wasn't a screamer. He wasn't a yeller, uh, much like you mentioned Tom Osborne, my favorite coach of all time. And, and um, Bobby wasn't that. Uh, he, he didn't have to be that. He knew his power. He knew what he had. And he knew if you treated these guys the right way. I had Charlie Ward on my show last week. Um, and uh, Charlie's been on my show quite a few times. And, you know, Charlie tells stories all the time about just how good of a man he is. And I've spoken to so many people from Florida State over the years. And every conversation that they bring up is how good of a guy Bobby Bowden is. Nobody sits back and says, Oh, man, greatest coach I ever had. It's almost a known entity at that point. It's almost known. Yeah, well, he's a great coach. But let me tell you about this. Um, a lot of people will point to his faith and, uh, you know, the, the things that he really believed in off the field as just being that support and that rock. And I don't care if you believe in God or you don't believe in God and you don't like Bobby's religion or whatnot. But the players did. And the players, we, we often forget at that age – the players are being recruited from the South, where religion is a major, major, major selling point. And they're leaving their family, and they're leaving their preachers, and they're leaving their priests, and whoever else might be influential in their life. And Bobby filled that role uh, as much as he could. 
Now, he would probably sit back and tell you, you know, no, I, I could not fill that role. But he did as much as he could. And he made these young men, or at least he tried to make these young men, uh, into responsible adults. Now, you could sit back and you could tell me that the program had problems at times. Sure, and Bobby, you know, walks away with two championships when people go, well, you know what, he should have had a lot more. But you got to look at what he did. He took that program from nothing and built it to what it was. He never had his eyes on the NFL. Uh, there was big-time schools that came calling, and he said, no, this is my home. This is what I'm going to do. Um, Bobby Bowden will go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, and I don't think it's an appropriate form to say, is he the greatest, is he not the greatest, or, or whatever. You want to have that conversation. Bobby Bowden's one of the top five greatest of all time. Um, it was a different environment when he was bringing people up and uh, when he was going out there and recruiting and when he was teaching these kids to be young adults and when he was, uh, you know, doing all the things that made Bobby Bowden Bobby Bowden, a lot of that stuff had never been done before, Tim. You know, you had different kind of coaches throughout the years. Bobby is kind of our link to the past, the link to the guy that said, I'm going to stay at my program. I'm going to build up my program. I'm going to turn down money. I'm going to turn down better recruiting. I'm going to turn down bigger championships. I'm going to turn down an easier path because I'm loyal and I'm loyal to my brand. Um, look at who who preceded him, you know, uh, or who came right after him, right? Jimbo Fisher. Uh, how much how much loyalty did Jimbo have? He he jumped ship immediately to Texas A&M. Always had his eye on the SEC. Look around the league, guys jumping coaching job from here to there and going back. It's a rare personality to be able to stay in a school where you know you're somewhat behind the eight ball. And that's what Florida State was, and make them into the dynasty. And you could you could argue one of the top ten programs ever, probably the top program. Uh, I always argue with my wife. I say he'll never be Tom Osborne, but the second best program in the 90s. I mean, it's right there. And that's what we have to look at about Bobby Bowden. Uh, if anybody from Florida State that wants to talk about Bobby Bowden, they're going to talk to me about the, the man he was. And they don't really care if you consider him the greatest coach of all time, the second greatest coach of all time. Uh, you know, just give him his due. I think it suffices to say Bobby Bowden, one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the greatest men of all time. Chris, Chris Wynn uh, just texted Tommy, and he brought up something that none of us were even born at that time. But uh, it was something that I had, had read about when I was growing up. And then, if you, you know, when you looked at, the tragic plane crash at Marshall University suffered that basically took out the, the you know the whole team and um, for he was the head coach at West Virginia at the time and he had asked the NCAA to allow them to wear Marshall jerseys as a tribute which was denied but still when you look at a guy like that that um, encompassed you know it was a state thing and it was a brotherhood thing and and that stood out to me very much so as far as a person and and you know what the whole thing with the recruiting scandals or, or the, the one blemish that people want to try to throw in your face because they did have to vacate, at, I believe, a dozen wins at, at one point. But he gave kids an opportunity to play football, right? And, and I'm never going to say that I don't think shenanigans happen in all of sports, right, Tommy? So for, for them to, to use that as the only negative thing that they can come up with for Bobby Bowden, it's just it's a crock. It's a, you know, it's a crock of you-know-what. So... Let's just see you not even bring that part up. The guy was uh, 377 wins. Like you said, he won two national titles. 
And the bottom line was he took a program in West in uh, Florida State, which the three years prior to him showing up had won four games, Tom. They won four games. He never had a losing overall record at any stop he went to. So when I look at that, I look at it, he took Florida State. It took him two years to get him to 10 wins and back in a bowl game on his way to, a, to a, just a wonderful career. I can tell you a personal story about Bobby Bowden, and I, I rarely get into the woe is me Tom Barton personal story, but I'll, I'll tell you the personal story that I have about Bobby Bowden because it is really profound, and, and it's how I want to remember him. Um, Bobby was, was uh, you know, well into his 80s. He was retired. He uh, was not signing any more autographs. He wasn't doing any more sightings and, and whatnot, and this is uh, now about eight or nine years ago. Um, I lived through Hurricane Sandy. I lived on the beach. Uh, we lost every single thing we had. Now, my wife uh, was in the band, and she was in the band during the championship years, and Bobby was always a guy that came over to the band, and he always uh, said, hey, you know what? You guys are important, and you're doing the war chant and everything else. And she takes great pride that you know she was in the band during those championship years, and she lost every piece of memorabilia that she had. You know, Like I said, we literally lost every single thing that we had. We lost our entire house and everything. So for her birthday that year, I said, you know, I got to try to get some memorabilia back. And I asked a couple of people and a friend of mine said, you know what, I can help you out. If I tell Bobby this story, he's going to sign something for you. He doesn't sign anything anymore. Maybe he's got something he already signed. I said, okay, great. You know, give me a ball or something like that. I, I don't even care. You know, or if you have a hookup, I'll pay for it. I, I just wanted to make sure it was actually Bobby's. I got something in the mail. <laughs> that I well, I got the phone call. Bobby heard the story. He made me come over, uh, a friend of mine, and sign something. And he signed to Abby, and she put it up on her Facebook today. Hey, Abby, uh, thanks for playing the band in '99. We really needed you for the championship. That's the kind of man he was. I'm not signing autographs. I don't care. Not only did he just sign his name, he actually said the name, the date, uh, the influence that she had with you know playing in the band. At a time where he could have just said no problem, but he heard the story about her losing every single thing and just he com was compelled to say, you know what, I'm going to go a little bit extra. For somebody that he barely knew, it didn't really matter to him, you know, but he was able to do that. That's the kind of guy Bobby Bowden is, and that's how he personally touched my life. That's, that's a great story, man. He, I can't believe he's been out of college football for uh, 13 years man isn't that isn't that great so he was done football before we ever went on the air tom i, I can't yeah. even believe that yes he was yeah yeah and he was forced out um he, he was forced out in a situation where he should have never been forced out uh he was forced out in a situation because they didn't they didn't like what he was doing they thought they could bring in somebody random and uh, they did and and they brought in jimbo uh jimbo had you know, the flash in the pan, and people still look back and talk about the Bobby years. You know, if you float close to Florida State, that Florida State program's never been the same. Don't give me the one spark year. Look, Jameis Winston had a ridiculous season. That was all Jameis Winston. That was uh, one of those crazy pop years that uh, every now and then a team gets. But that, that franchise is never going to be the same. That university will never be the same without Bobby Bowden. Um, you know, he, he looms large. He leaves a just a lasting legacy, and besides the lasting legacy, I just, you know, the, the, I think the highest compliment that you can ever give anybody, right, 
is to say, I would love my son to go coach, uh, go play there for that coach, or I would like him to grow up to be like that. That's the highest compliment. If you turn around and you take your kids and you want them to be like that person or do something like that, and uh, you know, I would, I wouldn't hesitate for a second to have my son go play for a Bobby Bowden. Uh, it, it, obviously, it's not going to happen, but that kind of person is just a rare breed, Tim. I don't think we have many of them left. No, we do have his. I believe his son. Terry Bowden still coaching uh, in Sunbelt. Of course, uh, Tommy. We know Tommy Bowden. And then he's had 11, 11 other main assistants become head coaches in college football. So you see where the tree kind of extends there. Uh, where would you? So if we, if we had to come off the top of the head situation here, Tommy, where, would, where does he rank all time? Do you put him in your top five? I was just going to say, I, I think without thinking, he's in my top five. Um, and then I start to break it down. You know, I know everybody loves Saban. To me, Saban is a tremendous recruiter with a stacked deck. So I use some of that against him. I'm not throwing Saban outside the top five, but I do believe that he's not number one. I know Bear Bryant has to be in the conversation. Um, you know, you do have people in the conversation. For me, for, I can only really go on what I watched. And what I watched was Tom Osborne is the greatest football coach I've ever seen. Um, uh, he, he had a dominance and a legacy in the nineties uh, that I just, I, I can't even explain. And to go for it in the eighties, uh, you know, against Miami, the way that he did, you asked, you asked Tom Osborne to constantly go down into the weather with that kind of team. To me, he's the greatest. Bobby would have to be number two. I, I don't think that Saban is a better football coach. I think he's a much better recruiter. But I don't think he's a better football coach. I don't believe uh, that that there's you know Patino is. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> Joe Pa is not in the mix there for me. You know, people throw Pete Carroll at. He had a, a a little run quickly. Jimmy Johnson had a quick run. But when you're talking about this, you have to talk about longevity. You've got to bring up longevity. Saban's close, but he's not there yet. So I'm going number one. I'm going Tom Osborne number two. I think it's going to be Bobby Bowden, at least for what I saw. Yeah. I'll give you my quick list. Uh, in in, the, I didn't really rank them here, but because I have to go off the same thing I saw as well. So obviously Bear Bryant can't be included, but you got to go Bowden. I, I put Joe Pa in the top five. I, I'm not even just just basically based on on football on field stuff, Tommy. So uh, what happened there is is just a, a trad, uh, just a. There's no even word to describe what happened there. But as far as the football goes, I put Joe Pa in there. And I had Osborne, of course. And I threw – on the back end, I put Sabe in there at five, I think. And, and maybe maybe a guy like a Spurrier or a Holtz kind of slides in there for me. Yeah, they could. Uh, you know, uh, they certainly could. And that – I mean, I, I think that's the thing. We, you have to go by frame of reference. And my frame of reference is I started watching college football in uh, you know the late 80s. Uh, so my frame of reference is whoever dominated the 90s is going to have a little bit more juice for me. And Tom Osborne and obviously Bobby Bowden dominated the 90s. Uh, like I said, Saban's got to be up there. I don't put Spurrier. Uh, no, no, he can't. He, I can't put Spurrier because Florida had most of their success after he left to me. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they really did. Urban Meyer had more success than he, than they did. Um, right. You know, that's that's a tough one. So I'm going to say one, two. You want to put Saban in the top five? I'll say sure. Uh, to round out four, five, you know, 
I, I don't know if I put Joe Pa there. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's got to sort of be there. I'm sure that people are going to kind of force him uh, into that equation. But I don't, I don't necessarily love it. I, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Give me my top five because I got one. I got three of my five pretty set. Um, if you want to throw Bear Bryant, okay. You know, I just I didn't see him, so that's a little tough. But it's at Tom Martin Sports at HW Sports, um, or you can give us a call eight seven six thirteen forty. I'd love to hear people's opinion on this because this has got to be an interesting topic. Of course, you know, Bear Bryant, Paul Brown. Guys, Newt Rockney. You know, I'm leaving these guys out. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just leaving these guys out. I'm leaving them out because the reality is I didn't see them, and it, it's just very difficult to kind of gauge that. In sports, you have absolutes, right? You, you, you have numbers and things like that. We don't have those kind of numbers here. So give me a call. Give us a call. Let us know. Who's, it, who's in the top five that we're forgetting? I think it's an interesting number to throw uh, – Throw some memory there. That, that's an in, that's an interesting one. Uh, Joe Pa has to go for me, Tommy. Four hundred wins, two national titles, and he had four seasons where they finished undefeated and finished second or third in the back then in the AP polls. And um, I, I have to put him in there just because successfully on the field they they were. You you go back to the eighties, right in Nebraska, Penn State. It's just unbelievable. Miami, right? You talk about those years, but. Um. Yeah, you. I, we can't include the guys we didn't watch, but I agree. If you want to leave your top five in there, I'd love to see all those. I know people are going to be flipping out. We didn't even say the name Woody Hayes. Well, again, didn't see him. I, I, I didn't see him. You know what I mean? When was he done? In '78, right? I, I, I was barely born, so I can't use him. You know, Barry Switzer, someone, someone will throw in there. Yeah, you know what? But he was done in '88. Um, and, and even that, I don't think he's better than Osborne, but he was done in 88. Our Parsegian is going to be thrown in there. And he Notre Dame fans going to be screaming. He was done in the mid-70s. He's not somebody that um, I can actually sit back and, and just say, yeah, yeah I, I think so. Bo Schembechler, someone's going to throw that guy's name in there, of course. I'm sitting here and I'm going, They, I just don't see it though, Tim. You know, Bob Stoops, look, I had Bob Stoops on the show. I love Bob Stoops. I don't think Bob Stoops is in there. You know, Dabo Sweeney's making a, a pretty good push to get up there. Jim Tressel, I don't think it's enough of a resume. Uh, you know, he's got to have a shot up there. And, uh, you know, you start to look around and you go, what does it mean to be a great coach? You know, yeah. what do you have uh, that, that the other coaches don't have? And, uh, no, I have a hard time. Look, Tim Murphy, to me, the Harvard football coach, has had massive success. No one's ever going to use him in the comparison. So I'm pretty confident in saying my one-two is Osborne Bowden. I, I could put Saban at three. I could put him down at five, and we'll argue four or five. Yeah. And you brought up Urban Meyer, and uh, I'd have to look at him again, Tommy, just checking the stats real quick. Smaller frame of time. It's like under 20 years, but he was 83 and nine overall with three national titles. So, and he won every. He never had a losing record at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, or Ohio State. So he he needs to have some type of consideration. Although I would not put Urban Meyer in the top five just based on length of time as a head coach. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, if we're putting guys that had a short career in there, how is Dabo Sweeney not in the top yeah, five? Right. Right. I mean, Dabo's career, it you know is lengthy enough that we have him, uh, to me, he's he's a top 10 guy. 
right? And Dabo, you start to look at what did he do to Clemson? How, listen, I'm going to start. You know what's funny? Somebody asked me today. They said, we don't have anybody like Bobby Bowden left. I said, if there's somebody close, it's Dabo. I think he's the closest. And that's going to bother Florida State fans. But he's the closest thing out there to a legitimate Bobby Bowden type of, uh, type of man. But I just don't think we'll ever have a Bobby Bowden ever again. All right, Tommy, as we head to the break, real quick, answer this question for us, and we'll come back with the, the UNLV story. Uh, Jose Volonte and Chris Wynn want to know, does Tony Sanchez make your top list of college football head coaches? I'll, I'll say this for you. Tony Sanchez doesn't make my top list of UNLV football coaches, and we've only had four of them. <laughs> I've only been on the air for four football coaches, right? Uh, he doesn't make my top three. Okay. Well, I guess that 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 says enough right there, man. Good, good, good <laughs> high school coach, though. Good high school coach. Yeah, or good recruiter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On the other side of the timeout, UNLV will be looking for a new athletic director. We'll give you that story next. And yeah, we got those college football previews coming up. Stay tuned to Heatwave Sports here on a Sunday night, Fox Sports Radio. <laughs> Back at it, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you on a Sunday night. And a little breaking news earlier this evening, and I'm reading this from the Missouri press release, if that says anything, Tommy, about... Well, we'll get into it. Missouri has hired UNLV's Desiree Reed-Francois as its next athletic director. The school announced on Sunday, 49-year-old Reed-Francois becomes the first female athletic director in Missouri history and the second in SEC history following Vanderbilt's Candace Story Lee. Uh, big news. Uh, she, she, uh, you know, as if you know and you followed DRF over the last five-ish years, I'd say, close to five years, uh, just not very successful with the football and basketball programs here in Las Vegas, Tom, and... Uh, her reward for not being successful. And, and I'll just say this real quickly. What she did in other sports, especially on the women's side, I, I'll, I'll give her kudos to that. She did improve a lot of the women's programs at UNLV. But as far as the money makers, when it comes down to it for colleges, football and basketball, so far it's going to be an unsuccessful reign as AD, Tommy, depending on, you know, you have – football coach and, and of course Kruger now the, now the new the new Kruger at basketball but I, I don't really know you know how long you can say that she's responsible for that she made the hire but we'll see with the new AD that comes in here in, in Las Vegas Tommy so those two programs unsuccessful under her reign her reward is though a job in a top power five school yeah look she got she got what she wanted and that was uh, used UNLV as a stepping stone uh, UNLV the way most people are using UNLV now is to step on the people below you to try to increase uh, yourself she leaves you said you know maybe not that successful I would call it an unmitigated disaster 
I think the hiring process has been laughable. At at, it's got to be the most bungled hiring process I've ever been uh, really privy to. Kind of follow the basketball program had like five head coaches in a matter of like three weeks, and then nobody really ever wanted to go there. Um, when all is said and done, her tenure. When we look back on the tenure, and you could find positives with the women's program and everything else, Tim, her tenure was somebody that was unqualified, a complete unmitigated disaster, not because she hired the wrong people, but just the process that she went in to get to those wrong people. So uh, there's nothing, nothing that I could find positive to say about the job that she did here. You are a very diplomatic person. Could it be, Tommy, and, and I don't know the inner workings of the, how the UNLV, uh, I don't know how the college sets itself up, and, and you're talking about, you know, she obviously has bosses, and they obviously pull strings as well. Could it be, in, in trying to, to find a, a way to defend what she did as far as the football and basketball programs, like you said, which was nothing, and I don't want to hear, oh, we got a new uh, facility. I don't want to hear any of that. We're talking about wins and losses, right? We're talking about tournament appearances. We're talking about bowl games. Nothing. So could it be that maybe she was hamstrung up top and saying that, hey, you're not going to spend money and bring in a guy. You're going to play within these limitations. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. But, you know, there's a certain thing. When you're the AD, you know, keeping the programs and building them up and, and all that, that that's obvious that goes with the job but there's also the idea of public perception right and when you're talking about public perception why did we know that multiple basketball coaches signed and then left yeah Cronin uh, and all that why did we know that they had these okay this is who we want okay we got him oh no he didn't we didn't really get him okay then we're going for this guy oh, oh no he didn't really want to come here okay then we, why why did that leak out? Why did it get out to the press? Why was it kind of thrown egg in her face over and over about this? That has to be a job of an AD as well. So you can sit back and you can blame the administration for a, a large number of things. But it's got to be the AD that kind of keeps wraps on things. It's got to be the AD that isn't announcing new coaches uh, when they don't really want to be there and then they leave. You know, Forget about the football coach situation, which I told everybody the day it happened that Tony Sanchez was going to be a, a giant flop, and we got massive hate mail because he's beloved in the city. Guys, that was a panic move by an inexperienced and unqualified AD. Oh, he's loved at the high school level. People will love me if I get him. Okay, I could I could sit back and I could say maybe she was forced from up above to force that hiring, Tim. I'll, I'll be with you there. Okay, I'll sit with you. I'll say, sure. Okay, maybe we could give her that. Okay, what do you give me the reason for the basketball program, Tim? Give me the reason for Dave Rice oh, just continuing to stay there. Give me the reason that the guy that actually had success at the basketball program is now coaching well Southern Illinois, right? I mean, or, or Southern Utah. Look at look at what is going on with the basketball program. Why? Well, we needed a big name, but you didn't get a big name. Well, you did get a big name, and then he didn't want to come there. Hey, Gary got a big name, and then he went to another school. I mean, you can't sit back and look at the hiring process. Forget about the fact that they hired the wrong people. That we know. But the way that the process went down, it, it, they're a laughing stock. Come on. So, so, again, maybe I don't know how this works. I'm not sure what Missouri sees. How do you 
get a job in a Power Five conference, you know, Missouri. That's that Missouri is a good job. How do you how do you explain that to your fan base when if guys like us are looking at who the new AD is and what they did at their last stop and they look at her resume at UNLV? Why would you want that into your program? Well, I'll give you the positives, okay? And I'm looking at this from you're asking me a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the uh, used car salesman BS kind of answer here, right? And I'm gonna say, hey, look, look, she had to work with tough, uh, you know, upper management, right? We'll call it that. She had to work in a tough situation, Tim. We knew that the people above are, are in a bad spot. UNLV is a, is isn't really a good conference. She was handed just a complete mess. Yeah, she made some mistakes along the way, but it was also her first real opportunity on that kind of platform. Now I think she's worked out the mistakes. Now I think we know. And if you really look at it, look, even though she lost these big coaches that went on to great success and made UNLV look like morons, well, even though she lost them, she did have them in the building and she did kind of have them signed. Well, they're not going to leave my school the way that they walked away from UNLV. There's your argument. What's crazy is... They just extended her four years before this happened. So think about, like, like I said, it, it goes beyond just her, right? There's, there's, in my opinion, I'm going to use the term just dunces above them, above her making decisions that maybe they don't know what they're, they're doing. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what, what happens at Missouri because I think she's going to get a little more. Obviously, she's going to get a lot more room there to uh, do what she needs to do, Tom. So... The main question now becomes, who does UNLV go after? And I know Jose says Lon Kruger would be a good decision there to bring. He's already here. You know, he came back here and retired, so why not put him in that spot? I don't know if it's that easy, though. Uh, how about somebody we don't know, Tim? Can we stop? Can UNLV stop going after names as if they're, they're you know, this big, giant time school? You know, I, I, I don't know the athletic director of Harvard. I probably should, mm -hmm. but I don't. Do you know the athletic director of uh, the Miami Hurricanes, Tim, off the top of your head? No, I do okay. not. Do you know the, the the athletic director of the Virginia Cavaliers off the top of your head? I'll have to say no again. Okay, right. Okay. Basically, my point is that out of 300 and something schools in the country, we might know five or ten athletic directors. Why do we have to constantly go for these big names? And that's all they are is names. You know, Jose has a good point. I get it. He's connecting the dots. He, he You know, he's a local guy. It makes a lot of sense. That doesn't mean he's qualified. We don't know the athletic directors that are applying for the job because we shouldn't know it, right? We don't know their objective. We don't know what the meeting is going to be like. Maybe the meeting is going to sit there. Hey, look, we don't even care about the football team anymore because people are just going to come because the stadium, the basketball team, we don't really care because, you know what, we, we get the Mountain West Conference there, so we'll get our money there. So just just work on the women's schools. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on. I don't think so, but maybe. So we sit back and we go, we're trying to determine, you know, what guy should come in here or woman should come in here or, or, you know, what person with a resume should come in here that we know. We shouldn't know the resume, Tim. We shouldn't know the person that's the AD right offhand. Just because you know, someone has a name doesn't mean they're the right fit. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. I think, you know, here's, here's the chance again, right, Tom? We always talked about when you have an opportunity – to put your school out there, it's still an attractive job is based on where it's at and the, and the 
what the program was and somebody coming in and trying to say all the right things and bring and say we're going to bring this program back to where it was whether it's obviously basketball you can't say that about football because it never was anything but i'm going to build this football program into something so here we go again right as with the football coach at uh, head football coach search as with the basketball coach search now you know he has an opportunity again on a national stage to to make a name or, or at least create a headline i want to see the direction they go here no they won't no they don't i can tell you tim you know last week or two weeks ago i i did uh you know the the fill-in for the morning show on a hundred and some odd stations i'm not this isn't a, a brag this is me merely me telling you uh it's one of the bigger station groups out there Mm-hmm. Um, they give you an extensive pre-show prep list, right? I mean, extensive. It's got 100, 150 things on it. The UNLV coaching hire would not be on there. The UNLV, uh, a, I'm sorry, AD hire will not be on there. It's not a headline-making move. It's not a move that's going to turn the needle outside of the little Las Vegas. And I say little Las Vegas in a derogatory term because as, as far as sports go, that's what it is still. It's still an upcoming city. And if you want to talk Raiders, sure. Oh, well, they got the Raiders. They got the Golden Knights. That only means UNLV moves further down. Tim, it's not a story. And it shouldn't be a story outside of Las Vegas. It will never res- resonate like that. So if Lon Kruger got the job as AD, that doesn't make headlines? <sighs> not big enough. No. Lon Kruger's a, a good coach. Okay. Uh, we don't know how he is as an AD. You know, it would make... Uh, it would not be spoken about on any of the morning shows. It would not be spoken about on, uh, you know, the talking heads and the arguing people uh, sitting around on the morning shows. It wouldn't be on ESPN uh, and their you know, little preview in the morning, the one-hour preview. It, it wouldn't be done. You might get a blurb. You might get someone saying something, someone that's real in tune. Or if you're in a Vegas market, you know, uh, and you have a – a, a, you know, syndication deal in the Vegas market. Maybe you throw a minute or two. Hey, guys, Lon Kruger's the idea. You're not making a story about this. Okay. Desiree Reed Francois gone from UNLV. Moves on to Missouri as the athletic, athletic director there, the first ever female athletic director in the school's history, second ever in the SEC. So, Tom, let's close that hour one and let's start our our go back to our college football previews how about we start in the Sun Belt to end our one Tom I, I know a couple schools here you're, you're looking forward to talking about but from uh, let's look at it from the I didn't even tear these out because I think in my mind it's it's Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State are, are the you know when you look at the schools Troy Georgia State anybody else in that eastern side of the conference that will have a chance to contend here, or is this a a two-horse race? Tim, you know you listen to my podcast, and I've been on Coastal Carolina. This is not a uh, two-team race. It's a one-team race. Mm -hmm. Coastal Carolina is massively dominant this year. I mean, it's going to be one of my best bets for the team total over. I love it. I don't think they lose a game. I don't think they lose a game here. Their defense is next level, Tim. Absolutely dominant dominating defense the offense was so good that nobody even paid attention to them okay uh they they were absolutely fantastic they are coming back i mentioned it last night 
19 of the 22 starters, one of the guy, one of the guys is, is basically a starter. So 20 of the 22 starters are coming back onto this team. Uh, that you know, you have McCall, who's now a sophomore. Oh, by the way, yeah, he's only a sophomore. Hit about 70% of his passes. I was talking about that big kid, really good. The defense has got big time guys. They even have a couple of transfers coming in. You look at the schedule, and I, I can't find a loss, Tim. I just simply can't find it. You want to tell me, oh, well, they have to go to Appalachian State? You know, okay, well, they got to go to Appalachian State. I'm not worried. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I know they're one and three against the Mountaineers. I, I get that. They beat them last year. Appalachian State is coming a little bit down, and you really got to sit back and you have to say, I, I, I think by the time they really all was said and done last year, they sat around and they said, we should have been undefeated. We should have been in a position where we're sitting there and we were in uh, you know, a really good play in a New Year's uh, you know, six and maybe even more. They're sitting there. Guys, they set the line at nine and a half. Now you could go well, at Appalachian State, at Georgia Southern, at Arkansas State. I looked at the advanced lines. They're favored in every one of those games. In every one of those games. This is a team that I absolutely think runs away with this division, uh, runs away with this conference without a problem. And I think that they go undefeated. Mentioned McCall, Tommy, as a freshman, accounted for 33 rushing, passing touchdowns to just three picks. 69% he threw, Tim. As a freshman. Freshman. Yeah. 37 points a game they scored. Did Coastal Carolina. By far, uh, good chance. You know, we, last night we had talked about potential of playing in a playoff situation. You have to put Coastal Carolina in that mix as well, Tom, if they finish the season undefeated. I did it last night. I told you, yeah. you know, I, this is the team I'm jumping on. I did a spot on them, and I gave it out uh, early when the first time the, the lines came out. Over-under is, is nine and a half. I think that's laughable. I, I think they win every single game this year, and I, I do. I think that they're going to be sitting back, and they're going to be one of those teams that are looking at the Power Five conferences and saying, man, if this was a year with an 18 playoff, we'd be sitting there and, and we'd want our shot. Now, I'm not, telling, I'm not telling you that they can compete with the big boys, okay? But their resume is going to show you undefeated, 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 and they have some big road games. I don't care. When, and when you bring back, there are just key ingredients in college football, right? When you bring back the coaching staff and then you bring back 20 of 22 starters, Oh, by the way, and your your quarterback is like a phenom at this point. People, start paying attention. As a freshman, hit 69% of his passes. Uh, to me, those eye-popping numbers. And the, the best part about betting on Coastal Carolina this year to really do big things is that they didn't do it last year. Because while they had a good year, they felt like they were robbed of an undefeated season. They felt like they didn't do everything. I've listened to what is going on in that camp. I've listened to you know the beat reporters and the beat writers, and everyone saying they have a just a focus this year because they feel they should have gone undefeated last year. So I have I have Coastal Carolina obviously winning the East, and I had Appalachian State a close second time, and the reason why I held off, and of course, look McCall is McCall, right? And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does again this season, but. Uh, for Appalachian State, and they play at Appalachian State October the 20th, so that circled out on the calendar. But Zach Thomas, the quarterback, Appalachian State is gone, graduated. 
And I know they brought in uh, Chase Bryce by the transfer route, someone who's had an opportunity to sit behind Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. But that, for me, was enough to, to push Coastal Carolina over the edge, although I had them teetering there to begin with anyways. But I think Appalachian State, Tommy, you know, I, th- I think you're looking at a team that's going to get eight or nine wins again, but they just will fall a little bit short. Yeah, it makes sense. And Appalachian State was so good for so long, people don't realize they really didn't look very good last year. Don't forget about Louisiana, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, three consecutive Sun Belt, well, uh, Sun Belt West titles, right? So they're just getting there, getting there, getting there, getting there. They're just they're not able to kind of jump up. But look, you know, Texas week one, I, they have a shot to do some big things too. If they could go out there and go undefeated. Oh, we know, look, you got a, a, a super senior coming out there, a quarterback. They're a good team. And I look, you, you got to like Arkansas State and what they're doing. I don't think that they're particularly close. Texas State, to me, is just a disaster. And they're probably the third best team. So I see Louisiana once again winning the West. And we're looking at four straight. It's just once you get up against Coastal Carolina, it's just going to be a dogfight. And it's going to be one of those games where you could be very good all year long. I don't think you could be Coastal Carolina in a position to keep their undefeated season continuing. Louisiana, excellent quarterback in Levi Lewis, but I think Arkansas State, in my opinion, has the better quarterback, Tommy and Lane Hatcher. I put him second to McCall as far as the signal callers go in the Sun Belt Conference. And, you know, it's it's a conference that I know that you followed for years, Tom. You enjoy Sunbelt football, not only because I, I think it's it's exciting brand of football, but we've kind of found ways that we can financially gain on the Sunbelt Conference, yes or no? Yeah, you could always find it. You know, here's the thing. Uh, the smaller conference, especially something like the Sunbelt, I made a ton of money with Appalachian State over the years. Last year, of course, Carolina was my moneymaker. Um, you're always able to find great totals. You know, the, the lines might be pretty good, and now all of a sudden Coastal Carolina's got a lot of hype behind them and whatnot, uh, and you almost have to lay off in certain situations. Uh, Appalachian State two years ago was one of the best covering teams last year. They were one of the worst covering teams in the country. It, it's not that they had a dis- disaster season, it's that, because all of a sudden people said, oh, wait a minute, this team's good, and then they're they're overranked. So you got to look out for that in the Sun Belt. But in the Sun Belt, I love, absolutely love totals. Um, Coastal Carolina, held the ball for 35 minutes a game on average last year. Uh, they absolutely dominated time of possession. Why? Well, they were up. They were running the ball. Coastal Carolina, people think, oh, they're so good. Oh, look at this. They're putting up big pine points. They had a lot of unders last year. So you could find a lot of uh, totals are, are really the money maker there. Keep an eye on, if you're looking at names, keep an eye at South Alabama, former Utah quarterback Jake Bentley, the, the man there. And then we we kind of touched on this earlier, Tom, in that I know Terry Bowden had stepped away due to his dad's sickness. Uh, this was just literally just days ago, so I don't know when he will return to the fold at Louisiana Monroe, a, a program that was winless last year and got crushed. As, as far, you look at totals, points. ULM outscored 420 to 163 last year, so a lot of work to be done there. But Rich Rodriguez, if you remember that name, he's in as the offensive coordinator. I would assume right now he's he's the interim head coach. So uh, look at ULM as far as maybe you can get some value on some lines, Tommy, because I think they're going to be quite the double-digit favor week in and week out, uh, dog week in and week out. Yeah, it, you know what? Getting, the, getting those underdogs in a conference like the Sun Belt is always fantastic because people just don't – they don't realize, you know, 
what exactly is this? You, you know, you have to remember also, like a team like Coastal Carolina, they're going for the undefeated season. They got all their starters. They're all back. Oh, that's great. Uh, watch for the game before the big games. They know on their calendar they really only have two games that they really have to circle. Watch for the game before those games. Those are usually, uh, okay, you know what? Get out to a nice sizable lead and let's kind of calm down, keep everybody healthy for next week. You see that on the smaller conferences a lot more than you see it in the bigger conferences. Sure, Ohio State will pull out, uh, you know, a bunch of their players uh, against, you know, St. Mary's School for the Blind, but the reality is is that their second and third stringers are actually pretty good, and they're usually better than the team they're, they're beating up on. That doesn't happen. The, the depth isn't really there on these smaller schools. All right, Tom, let's make it official as we close hour one on a Sunday night in the Sun Belt. You and I will both take Coastal Carolina to knock off Louisiana in the Sun Belt title game. Sounds about right. And I'm saying an undefeated season. All right. Undefeated season, Coastal Carolina. Are they the one that's left out then, Tom? You said you have five schools possibly undefeated at the end of the year. One's got to be left out. I think two is going to be left out. Team we talked about last night in Coastal Carolina. Those are my two. Those are the two teams I think are going to be left out of the Final Four. I think that Alabama, Clemson, you know, the Oklahomas, Ohio State's of the world, uh, you know, the, the, the big boys, uh, the big four are going to get their four in. And you're going to be sitting back afterwards and you're going to go Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina are going to play in the undefeated game. So the small school gets screwed again is what you're saying, man. Doesn't it always happen? UCF is the rightful champions. We know that. There's a banner hanging in UCF to tell me that. Uh, yep. Boise State got screwed for years. Yeah, of course. And this is, goes back to our conversation about saving. And when you know Chris Wynn said, well, you know what? You like him or hate him, guys. Saban's going down as one of the greatest. And I said, yeah, but we all know it's a tainted title. And they are. There's a lot of tainted titles. I've gone over that many, many, many times. Look, UCF is the rifle champion. That's why they have it hanging there. Alabama shouldn't be the champion that year. All right, Coastal Carolina wins the Sun Belt. Tim and Tom agree on that. As we close our one, when we come back in our two, more college football. Tommy, we're going to start off with the Independence and the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. So hang on to your hats with this one. Should be fun. Where does where does the Fighting Irish rank as far as Tom Barton's top schools coming into the new college football season? That and more. It's Heat Wave Sports here on a Sunday night. Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Hour 2, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Uh, we continue our run through the college football previews. Tommy, we turn our attention to the independents. So there's looks like seven schools. UMass, UConn, New Mexico State, Liberty, Army, BYU, and Notre Dame. Uh, we'll start with some of the looks like some of the doormats your thoughts on any quick thoughts maybe on umass yukon school uh, new mexico state schools like that and even liberty liberty coming off a six or a ten and one season last year yeah you know look Liberty's a fun team um i, I you, you look at you know who Liberty is and where they came from there i don't want to spend too much time on it but isn't it remarkable tim you know mm -hmm. liberty liberty's 
a good program now. I mean, they, they really are. Uh, look, Liberty has had more success than UNLV recently. Uh, you know, that the win total is set at 10. It's at 10. They get a game at Ole Miss, which should be really interesting, right? Um, Hugh Freeze returns. That, that's a good one. They have a rough schedule here. Louisiana's on the schedule. Army's on the schedule. Uh, UAB uh, could be tough. I, you know, I look at this and I go, I, I think they're a good team. Um, I really like what they're doing. There. I really do like what they're doing there. Uh, but I think 10 is is a big number. Uh, UMass, look, you can never seem to, to set you, the UMass number low enough. Uh, they are they're one of those teams that it's almost like Kansas. Yo, set it at one and hope for the best kind of thing. <laughs> and from a betting standpoint, they're, they're just bad, right? I mean, the offensive line was bad last year. They really were, were awful. Um, they, they didn't go out and, and really make much of an improvement there. They had 12 points through the first month of the season. It, it, this is what you're getting from UMass. They are just a, a bad team. I mean, just a bad team. They set the total at three, though. You know, this is this is now three, and you go, okay, well, can can you get over three? Can you be back to that respectable area? Well, look, UConn is a winnable game. Rhode Island is a winnable game. Maine's a winnable game. You know, you have a couple of winnable games there. I I I, I look at UMass and I go, they've had less than twenty wins, Tim, since two thousand twelve. That's when they came in to the big number, twenty wins. Since 2012, you can't expect anything from this team. Yeah. About BYU, uh, 11 and one last year, Tom. Now they have to replace the number two overall pick, Jose Volonte's favorite New York Jet. Now Zach Wilson is gone, so you have to put another quarterback in there, Tommy. And I, when I look at what BYU did, BYU did last year, and how close they were to creating a, a controversial issue in being the, the playoff situation, but you know, that one loss always rears its ugly head somewhere. I look at their schedule this year. It, it looks absolutely brutal. Well, we could talk about the quarterback, but I'm going to talk about the guys that are in front of him, right? Last year, uh, they produced an offensive line. Three of them went to the NFL. One of them got drafted, two undrafted free agents. The offensive line allowed 12 sacks. 12 sacks, and they played 12 games, Tim. Massive. Well, they lose three of those guys. <laughs> Right? I mean, you lose three of those guys. You mentioned the schedule. To me, it's all about the offensive line. I, I know everyone's going to concentrate on Wilson, but you have a, an offensive line that made sure they kept him upright, and they did a tremendous job of keeping him upright. 12 sacks in 12 games will do that for you. Uh, but you go out there, and, and what happens? You lose three of those guys. Tommy, look at this schedule. They, they open the season here in town. It'll be in Vegas at Elysian Stadium. They take on Arizona. Utah at home, Arizona State at home. On the road, right? On the road, oh, excuse me, and they have Boise at home. On the road at Baylor, they play Virginia at USC. Jeez, forget about 11. They might have a problem hitting seven. Yeah, BYU team total is, uh, <laughs> can, can we all go jump on that? Team total well, for the under, Tim? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to shade under, right? It's It's crazy. It's crazy. Shade under. I'll run to the under. 
We'll put that on the list, Tommy. Put that on the list. We're going to do that one in, in definitely Coastal Carolina. So. They have, they, yeah, they have six and a half wins, Tim. Yeah. Six and a half wins. You, you, you know, come on. At Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, USF, Utah State, Boise State, Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, Idaho State, Georgia yeah. Southern, at USF. They might not win a game. I'll, I'll, give them, I'll give them like four wins. They're not winning seven games. Get out of here. Come Halloween, they may they may be sitting with two wins. That that's how Seriously. brutal it yep. is. Yeah. What about Army? Another, uh, you know, we talk about the the military academies. Army nine wins last year. What are we looking at? Can can the Black Knights do it again? Do we see maybe maybe a nine or ten win season? Look, the bowl game uh, three of the last four years, uh, or I'm sorry, four of the last five years, and wins in three of those four. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to run the ball. They're going to play good defense. That's what we know. I think they're going to be the best service academy out there. I've talked to you about Navy's just brutal schedule. I think they'll be the best service academy out there, and, and that's something for them. I, I don't know if we can think about you know that kind of great season from. Looks like we lost Tommy there on the on the back end of that feed. Army, two hundred and seventy three yards rushing last year. If you think about that per game. Uh, for a school, obviously, predominantly runs the football, but previous, uh, you talked about the passing situation, and I know that the offensive line just Tom, uh, they were able to throw the ball a little bit more last season as well. So nine, definitely achievable, I think, for, for Army. I, I don't know if I'm running out and and betting any any overs on Army per se, but but I think it's definitely achievable. When we look at what Army's capable of doing here this football season, Tom, you there? Not yet. So we have uh, New Mexico State. Mexico State historically bad. Historically bad. Three wins in eighteen, two and nineteen. Uh, had basically a no schedule last year with the COVID situation. But I look at. Who could be worse than UNLV this year? And Mexico State probably takes the cake on me right there. I'm going to say New Mexico State has to be looked at again. And I just look at it because when you look at New Mexico State's schedule, they play Dixie State at home on October. I didn't even know Dixie State had a football team. Think about that. So there's one win. And they play a team that we just talked about in, in in UMass uh, to end the season. So possibly a win there. Other than that, I don't see another win on the schedule for New Mexico State. I see a big one win for sure. Maybe two if they can get past uh, UMass to end the season is where I look at New Mexico State. Just brutal. At San Diego State. Hawaii. San Jose State at Reno. We play Hawaii twice, actually, home and home. Uh, Utah State. And how about this this kicker? How about this this weekend for uh, back-to-back weeks for New Mexico State in November? At Alabama and at Kentucky, November 13th and November 20th. At Alabama and at Kentucky. That I want to see the line on Alabama. I really do, on November the 13th as we talk about cupcake schedules for, for uh, Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide, what will the line be 
Alabama, and New Mexico State. Mateo, can we can we take a quick, just a short time out? I'm going to try to get Tommy logged in again, and we'll come back with, of course, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. Where will they they last? This uh, college, where will they rank this college football season? We got the MAC conference and the Mountain West conference still to come here on Heatwave Sports. It's Super Sunday night. We're back. Quick break right after this. Quick break here on Heatwave Sports. We're back. Tommy, has the gremlins subsided? Do we got you back on, on with us? Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't sound like he's with us. Okay. Well, that's all right. We'll go with Notre Dame here. 10-2 and two last year, 9-1 in the ACC COVID year. Back to as an independent this college football season. And when we look at the Fighting Irish. See the situation of Wisconsin tra transfer Jack Cohn. Looks like he'll be the man behind center for the Fighting Irish. This year, just a, a nice run by Notre Dame last year in a, what you had to say was just a weird, weird college football season, right? So where does that set with Notre Dame? They have a, a revamped offensive line, new quarterback under the fold, and it all comes down to what Tommy likes to talk about. The schedule. Just the schedule. Mateo, if you could check the the box there. Tom says he's on, but we can't hear him on this end. It's, let me know on that one, please. So Notre Dame, Florida State on the road. Toledo, Purdue. They play Wisconsin in Chicago. That's a nice... A neutral, quote-unquote neutral matchup. How that's going to be shaded there. I would assume it would be predominantly fighting Irish fans. Wisconsin travels un incredibly. And, and if Jack Cohn is the guy, an opportunity to take on his former school in week number four. Tough matchup against Cincinnati, but that'll be at Notre Dame. At VTech, USC, North Carolina, Navy, all at home. And then they'll conclude. Can you hear me, Tim? There we go. There we go. I'm going through Notre Dame's schedule, Tommy. And oh, yeah. No, I heard you. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, Cone's the guy, but the reality is, even with Cone being the guy, the schedule's Nice. They had a great season last year. I, I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, and, and you're one of your better friends and, and a guy that I love, too, and, uh, is a big Notre Dame mark. Uh, he, he cannot be thinking in his mind that they can repeat what they did last year, right? Talking about Cotter. Well, yeah. 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 Cotter, Cotter and thinking don't collide very often in sentences. I love the kid, but come on. <laughs> he thinks they're going undefeated. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, I think you're losing to Cincinnati, right? I mean, I think you're losing your early games. It doesn't look good from the schedule-wise. And look, you bring over a transfer. It's not like this guy's an unknown. Tim, were you overly impressed with Jack Cohn last year? No. No, I wasn't. You know, I, I, that's kind of the problem. Vegas set the number at nine. Where are you getting nine? You know, I get it. You don't have to deal with, with some big boys. Cincinnati is a big boy, right? They have to go to Chicago to face Wisconsin. 
Florida State, I think they're going to be better this year. That's not me being a mark. That's me thinking that it's going to be better. Going to Virginia is not a layup. V-Tech's not a layup. Stanford's not a layup. You know, USC, North Carolina's got maybe the best quarterback in the country. I, I, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, you know, this is, this is an eight-win team. Maybe they get that ninth. Uh, but it's definitely going to be disappointing for people that think that they're going big time. It's funny, though, when you look at the number of wins that would be considered uh, okay and not okay, right, Tom? And if you say eight wins, that has to be considered a, a worst-case situation, right? Eight wins is not acceptable for Notre Dame football. No, and it shouldn't be, and I get that. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about ADs. When your AD is stacking the deck like this, I understand what he's doing. And he avoided a lot of the big boys, but, you know, Notre Dame's, in that, that middle pack. Now, look, they're not one of the top ten elite, and they are in that next tier. So there's a lot of games where you can you can stumble, and I think that they have a lot of stumbling type of games coming up. I see, just I, I can see, you know, I can see a Wisconsin loss. I can, uh, even though it's on their home field, coming off that Wisconsin game, I, I I think I'm with you. Cincinnati could surprise them on the road. I'm taking Cincinnati plus whatever points you're giving me. I think they went outright uh, in a game like that. I really do look at a Cincinnati team that's just going to frustrate Notre Dame. No one's going to give them credit. No one's going to do a, a, you know, give Notre Dame. A, I mean, uh, any kind of respect. I look at Notre Dame as being like probably what four, five, six point favorite in that game, and the reality is it should be a pickup. Money line, the Bearcats on October the second, Tom. All day. I'm giving you the play right now. <laughs> All right, let's move through to the MAC conference. Always fun football to watch on. Was it Tuesday nights, right, Tom? Through, historically, last year abbreviated season because of that damn COVID situation. So the MAC is split into two divisions, East and West. We'll start in the West. You have the, what I would call the the bottom of of that division with. Um, Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, Northern Illinois-ish. Anything on those schools, or do we need to move straight into what's going to be a run for that division between Ball State and Toledo? No, I think I think we got to go to the big two and just say, look, you know, what what is the the team that's basically going to do anything on one side of the ball or not, <laughs> right? Because you have two teams that really they they only like to play one side of the ball, and that's the reality of what's going to happen here. Whichever unit steps up and they say, okay, we're going to kind of uh, take this on and we're going to be that team. Well, uh, you know, this is what we have to do. Well, Toledo is 13th in the nation. They average 500 yards per game. That was unbelievable. Their offense comes back. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, the defense, you know what? People said, yeah, they were they were really good last year. Yeah, they were okay. I'm not going to say they were all good, but they're bringing every single defensive player back. To me, that's the unit that has to step up to him, and to me, that's the unit that is going to separate them from Ball State if they're going to be separated. Yeah. So Toledo, 35 points a game last year, Tom. A, a true, and this year you're going to get the full 12-game schedule and the, and the title game. What about Ball State last year? Even with the COVID going on, they, they won their first MAC title in 
well over 20 years. They knocked off Buffalo in the title game and then won a bowl game as well. The problem I see with Ball State is, uh, look, they have great receivers coming back and and a quarterback as well. You would think that would make them the favorite here, but just you said it, size of the ball, right? And can they sustain defensively? They gave up 26 points a game last year. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, this is a who's going to step up. So in the battle of these two, and that's what we're really looking at, right? The battle of these two teams, Tim, I have an opportunity to take the team that had the better defense last year, returning all 11 of their starters, or I have a team that had a little bit of struggles with defense last year, and they, they lost some guys. Um, to me, you know, you called it a two-team race. I, to me, this was a one-team race all along. Toledo has the best offense, and I think that you look at this and you can say, yeah, I think Toledo might have the better defense. Uh, of, of any of the competing, competitive teams. When you look at what Vegas put the number out at, you know, Ball State said at eight. You know, so you're looking at Toledo and you're going, yeah, can you get to eight wins to win this thing? Yeah, absolutely you can. So I'm looking at this almost as a one-team race again. I'm fully into Toledo here. I don't think that they're world beaters. It's still the max. So you have to pay attention from a betting perspective who's scoring a lot, what the totals are, but Toledo's the team for me. What's Toledo's total set at, Tom? Nine. Nine. Okay. Uh, so they're yeah, a full game better, you know. Yeah. And I would look at over the nine. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's tough within the max, Tim. You know, your instinct is, yeah, look over the nine. But it, it is a max conference. They play those weird midweek games. Bad weather, always kind of a bound. One team, you know, fumbles the ball six times, return for a touchdown. I mean, that's what makes the Mac crazy and Maction and all that. They, they embrace the craziness. So it's hard for me to go bet on a season win total on a Mac team just because it's the Mac. Over in the East, Bowling Green, Akron, Kent State will, will bring up the bottom of that, that division. But what about Buffalo, Tom? You were always big on Buffalo in past years. What do the Bulls have coming back this season? You know, they're a solid, solid team. I'm not going to go too into, you know, into getting crazy about them. They're that middle, middle of the pack team. Buffalo's always an interesting team. that They're going to have two or three games where you, you go, okay, they're on the streak, right? They, it's either going to be, wow, they're shutting a team down or they have a great, you know, just a great offensive effort. The team that I want to talk about is Bowling Green, who I'm not sure they win a game, Tim. I think that Bowling Green could be awful this year, and I thought they have a low win total. I understand that. Um, but you look at Bowling Green and what they're bringing back. Look, look, as much as we talk about good teams, right, um, we could also make money just betting against teams. If you're just betting flat out, just fading a team and flat out just betting against a team, Bowling Green might be the one to do it, right? I mean, Bowling Green might be what? Um, the defense has been, just been terrible, right? They can run the ball, right? They, they can run it. Oh, but the team scored 11 points per game last year. Tim, let me repeat that. The team averaged 11 points per game last year. Uh, and then you have the defense. Now, you can say, well, the defense was on the field a lot. You're right. They couldn't sustain runs. I get it. Um, this defense allowed 300 yards on, uh, rushing. I mean, it, it was just awful. 300 yards rushing against it. And this team is bad. Now, the win total is set at three. Okay? Um, basically, get to three wins here. I look at their schedule and I go, I see one. 
you know, maybe two. I don't even think they get to three. So if you're looking to kind of feed someone, yeah, here it is. Miami, Ohio. Looks like um, the Red Hawks. Nice nope, quarterback. Nope. Oh my! Sorry about that. I was going to say no Frank Solich anymore either. In Ohio, right? They left us with Ohio and um, Miami, Ohio. So Miami, Ohio, good solid duo there in, in Brett Gabbard and Jack Sorensen, who hooked up to the tune of twenty yards per catch last season, but. Is it enough for them to, to deal with Ohio? And you mentioned it. Frank Solok has retired. Longtime assistant Tim Albin, the new head coach there. When I look at Ohio, Tom, and this is going to be funny because, you know, how this show, I don't know where the degrees of separation uh, start and end here, but two quarterbacks in Ohio, Curtis Rourke and a guy named Armani Rogers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, Tim, let, let me ask you this. When has Miami, Ohio been able to run the ball? I I'm still waiting for that to happen, actually. Right. So, I mean, to me, that's what you have to look at. Until they can sustain the running ball, it's going to be just a disaster for their quarterbacks. And if you have a disaster for their quarterbacks, you know, it doesn't matter who's back there, really. You have to sustain a run. They've got to somehow or another change what we know about this football team for the past two decades, which is they cannot run the ball. Is this, uh, even though Solich is gone, is this an Ohio Bobcats situation where they win the East, they play Toledo for the MAC Conference Championship? Can Ohio win the MAC Conference for once? I have no idea what is going on with Ohio because they have a new coach and they played three games last year, Tim. They played three games last year. Now, people go, oh, they're returning nine starters on offense. The offense played three games, man. I have no idea. They have 17 total starters back. Normally, that makes me feel great. I feel like they didn't play last year, so they don't have a coach, and they didn't play last year. Tim, I have no idea what to make of this team. I wish I could sound more intelligent about it. Tommy, you you do know that that is the same Armani Rogers, right? He's a senior now at at Ohio. Yeah, remember when people told me he was the next Cam Newton? (laughs) Didn't I hear that? He was the next Cam Newton, and I said, no, and apparently my no turned into the ire of all UNLV fans everywhere, that I was out of my mind and I was a hater because I didn't think that he was uh, Cam Newton. Correct. I believe there's a relation there as well. I think they're cousins or something. But what really turned everybody against you was he was the quarterback the night of the worst loss in college football history. The worst loss in the history of college football. And don't even argue it. Don't even argue it, guys. Yeah. Uh, Cam Newton was beaten by Cam Newton. And it, and it was proven, Tom, late, later on. When we do look at statistically, it was the worst point spread loss by a favorite in college football history. And we had uh, people that were on the show at that time saying that you were crazy to say that. Yeah, the immediate reaction was, Tom has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, weeks later, all of a sudden, yeah. Oh, actually, we've all just understood that. Yeah, no, that's the worst loss in the history of college football. <laughs> Absolutely. Howard, right? Was it Howard? I think it was Howard. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll go, you know, I'm again with you. This is a conference that barely played any games last year, most of these schools. But so I'm going to say, uh, not knowing what Ohio is capable of, I'll take Toledo to win the MAC over Ohio, continuing a streak of Solich could never win the, the conference championship, if you notice, while he was there. And now that he's gone, I don't think things will change. I say Toledo over Ohio, 
wins the MAC. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. I think Toledo is just that team. They have the potentially the best offense, potentially the best defense in the conference. I'll take my shot with that. All right, so I saved the most time, Tom, for the Mountain West Football Conference. And let's start in the Mountain Division where, look, Boise State's reign supreme for I don't know how many straight years it's been now. So let's look at the team that will obviously win the Mountain again in Boise State. And I know that they have a first-year football coach. I now. don't know, Tim. I don't know. I don't oh, know. okay. Okay. Tell, tell me about tell me about. Boise State, or are you a Wyoming guy right now? I might be a Wyoming guy right now. Look, yeah. a new head coach always is a problem. Um, you know, the defensive coordinator is going to be different. There's change there. There's change there after the year we just went through. Uh, it, you know, you, you look at tough non-conference schedule at UCF, Okie State, even at BYU we just talked about. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, I'm not sure, Tim. Boise State, they look good, but you have a new quarterback. You have new coaches around them. I'm a little concerned. You know, I, and their defense, by the way, didn't look great. Now, I think that their head coach will focus on the defense, but I think that there's the window is cracked here because you look at what Wyoming could be. Right, and I know no one's paying attention to this team. I'm glad you brought them up because no one's paying attention to this team. Um, we we look at this and you go, man, they they got some offense. If things click, this passing attack can be great. But their running attack is just fantastic, and their defense might be. Wyoming's bringing back nine starters. Their defense might be the best in this conference. You know what, Tim? I know it's always Boise State, Boise State, Chalk, Boise State. It might be Wyoming this year. Yeah, top defense in the Mountain West last year. You said nine starters coming back from a team that uh, gave up just under five yards per play and 21 points a game. And that's something in the Mountain West when you really think about the lack of defense there. I, I will say on the on a Boise positive, Andy Avalos, the new head coach, has a defensive back uh, background. Is He's a defensive coach, so maybe he can help with that defense that gave up 27 points a game. You said it, 27 points a game. That's the highest amount of points they've given up since they've been in the Mountain West. But I do like Hank Bachmeyer back, and I think if it's an issue of he's not playing, Jack Sears also capable at the quarterback position. They scored 34 points a game last year. And if we were going to go down to it, right, really when you look at these two teams battling it out, November 12th, Tom, on the blue field, Wyoming at Boise State. Yeah, and that's, that might be the difference maker. And that's what's holding me back from just, you know, not going full all in 100%. Let's get, get crazy and just take Wyoming because they play at Boise. If this was at Wyoming, Tim, I'd be taking Wyoming to win, the, win this. And I still will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there. I'm going to be different. I'm going to take Wyoming. I just don't feel great about it because they're playing, like you said, on that blue turf. Look for the development of Levi Williams and, and Sean Chambers there at Wyoming. Wyoming, Tommy, you know, Craig Bowl, good head coach. And, of course, he had an involvement with Josh Allen as far as his progression there. So I think you're on to something here. What, what do we do you have in front of you? Win totals, Boise State and uh, Wyoming. Uh, let me see what, what I have here. Hold on. Uh, Boise State, you have nine, nine and a half, mm-hmm. depending on where you're looking. And Wyoming, you have a solid eight and a half. Okay. 
So it it is a lot. It is closer than people should really realize. Yeah, those those bookmakers aren't dumb, right? No, nah, they, they know they they know a little something about a little something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Air Force, Colorado State, and uh, New Mexico, Utah State round out that that division. Anything that we can be looking at, possibly out of those schools, I know Utah State coming off of just a horrendous season, and uh, New Mexico or New Mexico as well. But even Air Force didn't even play a full schedule. They only played six games last year. If anybody can give me a read on Colorado State, I want to talk to you. Because I'm a big Steven Dazio fan. They only played four games under his new regime. Uh, they didn't look very good. Now, all of a sudden, they're only bringing back five starters. They have a new quarterback. They didn't really ever need a passing game when he was at Pro Boston College, right? It didn't really matter. Uh, they couldn't get any offense in Boston College. The very brief stuff that I saw at the Rams couldn't get any offense uh, going there. But, man, the defense should be big. And what do we know about Steve Adazio? He's going to rush the passer. He's going to get people's faces. Um, I got to tell you, I think the defense is going to be improved. I think that this, this is the, the big unknown. It wouldn't shock me to watch Colorado State have a really good year. It wouldn't shock me to watch Colorado State just be absolutely fall on their face. I just think there's too many moving parts. Maybe reach out to our buddy Jay Cornegay over at the Westgate, Tommy. He's a big Colorado State mark, so maybe he knows something that we don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time Jay Cornegay knows something that I don't. <laughs> give, give me a read on New Mexico win total. When you look at the Lobos, 2-5 and five last year, but new head coach Danny Gonzalez, they did beat Wyoming, Tommy, in that stretch. They beat Fresno as well, and Rocky I mean, Long. Wyoming without a quarterback, right? I mean, yeah, true. You know, well, so, I, you got to look at it. Of how did they beat them, right? I, you know, they have Terry Wilson's coming in. Well, that that's fine. Do you believe that he's going to jump in here? Rocky Long, all right. Well, you know, there, there are some things to like here. You know, but we're, we're, we have to, I guess, crawl before we walk here, Tim. And that's how I look at this team. 32 points a game New Mexico gave up last year. Maybe Rocky Long can help out in bringing that down. And uh, we mentioned Utah State, just one in five in their six games. I'm not expecting much from the Aggies this football season, Tom. No, you can't. Not at all. So we'll go, we'll go out west as we both. So you have Wyoming. I'll take Boise in the east, setting up a, a title game situation. But let's go Shaw. out west and have go ahead. Shaw. <laughs> so let's go with, well, let's just start with it. UNLV, Tom, we'll give a nice chunk of time here to Marcus Arroyo and the Rebels. Zero and six last year. And I'm not sure they win a game this year. Uh, that's, that's been what I've talked about this entire summer, and I'm really serious when I say that. I know people think, oh, you know, it, 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 you're just, just messing around. No, 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 no. The, the games that I think that people are sitting back and saying, oh, yeah, that's the game that they can win, I'm saying maybe, maybe. Um, I like what he's doing. I, I just don't think that this is going to be a year where you could really get more than a game or two. Um, the offensive line, we, we sat down last year, and I really broke it down how small the offensive line was, and it really was the entire time under Sanchez. And I said, guys, even, even if there is some sort of light in the first half of games, you're going to watch this team get gashed in the second half 
because their offense and defensive lines were both tiny. They were both very small. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, last year, okay, we're going to get some big bulk. We're going to get some big guys. Here we go. Uh, but it takes a little while to kind of change philosophies. The, uh, the offensive line, you know, it didn't help the offense. They did nothing. And I know everybody can look uh, and say, well, we didn't have quarterbacks and this and that. Look, the offensive line was, was just bad last year. Uh, they were unathletic. And now they're trying to get a little bit better. Okay, maybe a little bit better. Defensive line still was very small last year. And it allowed nearly 500 yards per game and like 40 points per game. There was 38 points per game. They were terrible. Okay? So you go, well, they're bringing all 11 starters back. Oh, that's fantastic. 11 starters back from a terrible defense. Again, we're sitting there. Um, they can rush the passer, but they can't stop the run. And this is what their problem is once again. They can stop the, the they can rush the passer, which is good, but they simply can't stop the run. The Rebels allowed 29 sacks last year. 59 tackles for loss. Are you kidding me? And they were just gashed on the ground. The offensive and defensive line, nobody even cared about. Nobody paid attention to. So you go out there, and Vegas sets the win total. I know you've seen it at one and a half. I've looked at it as two. Um, you, you look at teams like Air Force, you know, Hawaii at home, Utah State, you know, can they, can they do all that? Guys, I don't think so. And I'm looking at Eastern Washington, I'm saying, I'm not sure they could beat Eastern Washington. So to me, this is a, a, a team where, from a betting standpoint, I'm not taking it. Because uh, I don't know if they win a game. But if you look past the betting standpoint, then here's the sad reality of UNLV. If UNLV wins three games this year, you go, yeah, that's about right. If they win four games, it's a successful season. Yeah, That's, that's where we're at. Four wins would be a successful season. Three wins is where you should be looking. And I got them sitting there. Tim, I'm giving them one win on the year, and it wouldn't shock me to watch them not win a game because I think Eastern Washington is more dangerous than people give them credit for. So since Marcus Arroyo came over from Oregon, right, the big OC there, they experts, Tom, and I put him in quotes again, experts say he's recruited well, but on the field, right, 0-6 and six last year, outscored by uh, a margin of 228-104. to 104. Now, Charles Williams, who's a hell of a running back, is back. And the quarterback situation, which was just completely awful last year, whether it was Rodgers or Brumfield. Now, it did receive a little jolt, possibly, this this week with the announcement that former Bishop Gorman High School four-time state champion, two-time national champion, Tate Martell, has walked on, and he was in camp this, this past week. So we'll see what happens there. But he did have, Tom, failed stints at Ohio State and Miami. So what does that mean for Martell? I don't know. I guess he has to win the job first, and then we'll worry about what it transfers over to uh, on-the-field success. So with that being said, can we just kind of look at the schedule? Give me the one win, first of all. And um, isn't one win successful when you won zero the year before? Hey, you, you would think that. Um, but no, not with this schedule. Uh, look, you know, I'm serious. I know people think I'm just doing this to kind of, you know what they mean, uh, kind of cause some controversy on the air, but I, it's really not like that. The, the reality is that UNLV will go into every single football game this year, every single football game this year, with the appeal of, okay, well, you're UNLV. You should be better than you are. 
But in every single football game this year, and I am literally saying every single game, you can argue that they don't have the best talent on the field. Eastern Washington is a surprisingly good team. Eastern Washington is a team that I believe win, and I believe they win game one. Then you have to go to Arizona State. You're not winning that game. I would say the top five team in the country at this point. You're getting, that game is going to be an embarrassment. Fresno State, no. You know, Texas San Antonio, maybe that's your win. Utah State, I don't see it. San Jose State, no. Nevada, you're not going on to Nevada and winning that game. At New Mexico, maybe if it was in a road game, I don't see them winning a road game. At home against Hawaii, that's a maybe win. San Diego State, not winning, you're not winning at Air Force. Again, a road game. So I don't see them going on the road to winning. So your opportunity to win games. Eastern Washington, maybe Texas San Antonio, but I don't see you going on the road. Hawaii, maybe New Mexico. But those are the four maybe games. So what you're asking them to do is something that UNLV hasn't really done in five years, which is win games on the road. So I don't see them winning games on the road. I don't see them winning against New Mexico or Texas San Antonio. So do you squeak out a win against Hawaii? Can you squeak out a win against Eastern Washington? I'm going to say they, they can squeak out one win along the way. Maybe you upset uh, a Texas San Antonio on the road or New Mexico on the road. I, I want to sit here, Tim, and tell you that they could get to two or three wins, but I don't think so. I, I'm not sure if I'm bold enough to say zero, but I'm going to say one win. I'm going to say UNLV gets one win this year. It might come week one, and I'll look like an idiot because I kind of like Eastern Washington. Uh, but I won't look that stupid because there's three wins and I say one. It's not going to be that bad, right? I'm, I'm going to go outside an analyst box here for once, Tom. And I'm going to say if if Tate Martell wins the starting quarterback job, and that's a big if, right? Just a, the college career hasn't followed the success he had in high school, and I get it. At Ohio State, he was you know, behind just incredible arms. And then at Miami, I, I just don't think he wanted to be there at the end of the day. And I'm just saying that from my own opinion, I don't know that for a fact, but if he can come back into his home city where he was so successful on the high school level and, and he was one of the top quarterback recruits, Tom coming out when he was a senior, if he can walk on and make this team as a starting quarterback, I'll go over the one and a half. If he doesn't, yeah, listen, I'm I, with you. I might go over one and a half anyway, because I, you know, I see a path. Like I said, I see a path that they could win two games. Maybe three. I, you know, if everything breaks right, they're a four-win team. I, I'm not going to call that crazy. Uh, my problem is this. Dave Martell might not be able to walk. It's hard to throw a ball from your back, Tim. And I have no faith in this offensive line. Absolutely. You could have the, the, the best arm ever, but if you can't see the play develop, it doesn't matter at that point. So we, We're in agreement that they finished last in this division, though, regardless of whether it's one win or three or four. Uh, anything on Hawaii, Todd Graham? You know, I know we, we're we're looking at COVID results per se, but Todd Graham's first year last year, just a, a nice way to finish the season, and you know that included whooping UNLV, by the way. And when you look at Hawaii, Tom, you always think about the the late night starts and trying to chase your money, like you know, laughing. And Ron was the best at the what we called the Hawaii games because he was always there looking to uh, either a Tom chase the money or b if he was a, had a successful day, he felt the need to bet on those Hawaii games. But uh, great quarterback in Cordero there. So I, I'm interested to see what Hawaii can do this season. 
Good quarterback, another bad offensive line, and that's kind of my worry, you know, with them, is that they really do need a, a better offensive line. They, their defense is always going to be a problem, but they got to play that up-tempo. If you want to play that up-tempo, you got to keep your very good quarterback in tow here. I think that Hawaii is a, look, Hawaii's a better team than UNLV. Does that mean they're going to win on the road? Probably not. Um, you know, not right off the bat. But I can see it happening. Like you said, look, there was good things to come out of Hawaii last year. Their offense, their quarterback is coming back. Their offense should be good. And if they can get him protection, their offense could be very good. And, and, you know, usually when you looked at the next team in San Diego State, they they enjoyed being at the top of this division and and playing in that conference championship game. But things are not, you know, the West West division is, is really good this year. And really, when you look at San Diego State, Fresno State, and, and, um, San Jose State, you kind of just mix and match there, right, Tom? Those three schools can all be essentially, in my mind, battling out for second place in that division. Yeah, you look at what the reality is that, uh, you know, Hawaii's hoping San Diego State, man, this is the furthest I've seen them down, right? You're not mm-hmm. used to San Diego State in this spot. You look at a team like Fresno State, you go, you expect bigger things from something like that, right? You expect... A big time thing. This team could pop, man. You know, they really can just turn around and pop. You got to get that defense kind of pretty stable here. And you look at San Jose State. San Jose State is a team that a better's love. We all know they were one of the best covering teams last year in the country. We know how good they can be. Um, but they are really just a defensive team. They got to get somebody out there that. At the end of the day, they could sit back and they could say, all right, they're the playmaker on offense. And then you look at Nevada. And Nevada is a team that is very dangerous, right? They have strong coming back at quarterback. He's uh, going to be an NFL. I, mean, I guess he'll be a late-round draft pick. He might be that kind of guy. But again, the offensive line, here we go again. They let up 20 sacks last year. That's a problem. What's keeping me away from saying Nevada is going to be very good this year as opposed to, okay, they're going to be good, is the fact that I just don't trust any of these offensive lines. They're, they're all bad in the, in the Mountain West, really, when you look at it. And I know since Jay Norville's taken over at Nevada, look, they've made three straight bowl games, Tom, and, and that's really... Uh, we, can re- we can find a best-of show. If we clipped it together about how many times I've said it's unfortunate that Nevada has a better sports program than UNLV in all aspects, right? Football, baseball, basketball, whatever you want to say. Nevada, our supposed armpit brethren, right? That's the armpit of the state of Nevada is Reno, how they've year after year have better sports teams. And here it is again, proof positive. They're picked to win this, the division. UNLV's picked to finish last in the same division. And, um, Carson Strong, you mentioned him, but he's he's a hell of a quarterback. I look at Nevada, though, and I see at Boise State, and I see an opportunity for San Jose State come November in that matchup to possibly win this division because I like, at San Jose State, I like Nick Starkle a lot better than I do Carson Strong. Nick Starkle, he, hey, look, he didn't make it in the SEC. Let's just put it that way. But he can make it in San Jose State, 17-7 and seven last year, touchdowns, interceptions. I'm I'm really looking forward to that matchup, and I think that that could be a highlight of, the, of when you're talking about matchups in the Mountain West, San Jose State, Nevada in November for a right to go to the ch- title game to face, in my opinion, Boise State. 
you know, it's pretty funny because San Jose State is, is such a, a team that nobody really knows how to get a grasp on. You're saying that you are picking them uh, to, to win this side of the division. Jose Valente just chalked them up as one of the wins that UNLV is going to have. He just okay. chalked it up. Um, so I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I believe that they're the best in this in this division, but I kind of like them there. I, I kind of really liked what I watched last year. I thought that this was an improving unit. I thought that they flew under the radar. Um, I was trying not to let my the idea that they were just 7-1 against the spread kind of blur my vision there. But, you know, I'm not going to follow you here, Tim. I'm going to go Nevada, but it wouldn't shock me to watch them win. I'll go San Jose State based on, look, 7-1. and one. Uh, Unbelievable. You want to talk about Cinderella stories from the COVID year. San Jose State was one of those teams. They win the Mountain West, right? They big go to a bowl game, win a bowl game. Nick Starkle, I like the running back duo and Robinsons and, and Nevins in the backfield. And you talked about protecting your quarterback. They were successful last year in doing that. All five offensive line starters return. Give me San Jose State to win the West Division. But there will not be a repeat. Of, of last year's Mountain West Championship. I think Boise State knocks them off in the Mountain West Conference title game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride it until I die here, right? I'm going to go Wyoming. I, I, if they could beat Boise on the blue turf, which is good, what it's going to take to win that side of it, I think that they're just going to be unstoppable. I don't feel good about this bet. I don't love it, but I don't like anybody else. So I'm going to take Wyoming, and I'm going to take my chance. I'm going to go down with an underdog here. And I'll take a shot with the underdog. Okay. It's funny in our own personal group threads about UNLV, Tom. It's just everybody's all over the place with with the wins again, and it's crazy, right? So you're at zero, maybe one. I'm at one if Martel plays. I think at maybe two or three, and that that's saying a lot. Uh, Jose likes four four wins, and Chris says they don't win more than three. So we're all kind of at the bottom, but there's a big difference between zero and four. Well, me and Jose have a bet going on right now, so I'll, I'll tell you guys. If they win more than four games, I'm buying Jose a football jersey. If they win under four games, Jose's going to buy me some dinner when I'm out there. Uh, if they win exactly four, we go, okay, that's, that's about right. I, you know, I didn't want to kind of tie myself to the three, but I, I think I should have. To me, Tim, you know, I would love to see the odds on them winning zero or one because I would take a shot at both zero and one. Trying not to be Debbie Downer here on the air, guys. Sorry, sorry, but uh, trying to not be that guy. But I have to call it the way I see it. I've been more right than I've been wrong on UNLV sports over the years, even though it seems doom and gloom. A lot of us have this attachment because we're here, either that we want them to succeed, or the opposite is that they're just so bad. They're they're just you know not even talkable, and that's been more the case than them being successful. You kind of bring in that outsider's perspective, Tom, but you've grown to, just being on this show, you, you've grown to pay attention to UNLV more than you would have, say, you were not on this show. And what you say is pretty much what's happened, right? They just have not been a good football program, coach after coach, loss after loss. And when you look at one and a half, again, we'll go back to what the books think. When you have one and a half, that tells you everything you kind of need to know right there. Do what you want with it. But I think when you say zero, you know, you're giving them a game. And I, I think they find the one this year, but I'm not betting it. I know you're not. Tim, I'll be all over Eastern Washington week one. 
like that. And that's, that's where I'm kind of leaning to the zero because every single person is going, yeah, give me, you know, all right, Eastern Washington, that's one of their wins. I don't know about that. You know, that's my thing. I'm looking at Eastern Washington and I'm going, I follow this team year in and year out. I follow their red turf. I follow what they do. I know that they have a good offense. They produce tough teams out there. And if you're going out there and you're constantly producing tough teams, you know, I, you, you have to start, stop and kind of just stare and go, all right, what's the number going to be, right, Tim? What's the number going to be to kind of get me to bite on, on this uh, Eastern Washington? I kind of don't care. I think they win outright. Yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't seen the line yet, and I haven't even looked at my, my power ratings are far from – I'm a little behind, Tom, So especially when it would come to an Eastern Washington. I can't see Rebels being more than a few-point favorite, right? They, they, they haven't set the line out there yet. I can tell you some of the lines for uh, some of the other Mountain West games. Like, you know, we know uh, San Jose State's catching 16 and a half. Uh, you know, I know that off the top of my head. I, I would have to do some digging. They're playing USC, by the way. They're catching 16 and a half against USC. Give me San Jose State all day long in that game where nobody will be betting them. Um, <laughs> I know Nevada's getting about three and a half against Cal. I know that off the top of my head. San Diego State's like 30-point favorites. Um, but I have not seen a UNLV number yet. If I said UNLV minus three, three and a half, am I somewhere around the on on the right page? I'm taking plus money, man. I, I'm, okay. I think that they're going to be the UNLV. People are going to bet them. I think you you don't bet that game until you know ten minutes before the game, and you you might be able to get it up to I don't know four or five. Here here be the storyline. Oh man, it's UNLV. We we got Tate Martell. We're playing at Allegiant Stadium. For the, you got to take the Rebels, right? That's that's mainstream public right there. Uh, it's certainly everybody in the sports book, right? Everybody <laughs> hanging out in the sports book, you know, hanging out on the weekend. Oh yeah, well you know what? UNLV hometown team throw hundred on it. I'll just that's what I'm saying. I will wait until last. All right, just to close it out, Tom. You know, we didn't really talk much about it because. It, Number one, I saw it coming years ago, as did you. But number two, we're we're still probably what three or four years away from this. But just your thoughts on the exodus of the Big Twelve and what's going to happen here? You know, it, it's a it's a touchy situation. It really is. Um, I reached out to Bob Stoops this week and I asked him, you know, can you come on the show to talk about the Big Twelve? He, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, um, it's. I think nobody really knows exactly what to talk about it how to approach this, because I think we're all waiting for the rest of the chip to fall. There's no way this is the end. And I think we all see that writing on the wall, which is unfortunate, that there's a chance that now Florida State and Clemson will maybe jump ship. And I don't want to hear anybody going, oh, come on, they didn't reach out. Of course they did. They would be terrible to ADs if they didn't at least reach out and see the money. Money talks, and it's all kind of just the money grab. What I think that we're going to eventually go to, and me and you talked about this about five, six years ago, I think we're going to go to one upper conference and then the rest. And that's what it's going to be. There's going to be a split. There's no way you could have Coastal Carolina in the same sort of conference and going to the same championship as Alabama. You know, you can't have that. It's too big of a divide. Tim. So I think this is setting the place, Matt, for, all right, you know, maybe the SEC goes to like 20 teams. And I'm dead serious. Maybe they go to 20 teams, 24 teams, and that's 
sort of your own champion at that point. Do you, do you see an extreme possibility that some of the power schools seed way from the NCAA and have their own uh, organization? Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a Lone Star conference pop up, uh, you know, and you start to think about that. It, there's anything is possible at this point because who cares what conference you're in if you're not making the money? If, 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 if you're not making the money, you don't have a TV deal, just form your own, right? Form your own conference, do whatever you want to do, and it's kind of kind of be like the wild, wild west. So you would have an NCAA champion and then another, you know, everything that we grew up watching as children, teenagers, young adults up until our mid-ages now, it, nothing's, you know, it's basically being ruined for future generations because they'll never understand what it was like to live in the, the time that we did as uh, teenagers and young adults, Tom. Yeah, look, I still think Nebraska should be in the Big 12 Conference, you know, so that's where I'm coming from. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a guy that, that has a hard time with change. <laughs> you know, I really do. To me, even in basketball, Syracuse is still in the Big East, right? They're, they're still a, uh, a playing at Madison Square Garden. They were never in the ACC. I, I think that the idea of conferences was very needed at the time that it was needed. But with the way that technology is now, you don't need conferences. And if you don't need something, someone will always find a way to monetize it and to destroy it just because they can. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah, monetarily, it's what it's all become. And what's funny is we talked about five undefeated schools. You have five undefeated schools and two of them will be left out. That's never going to change. And and now, granted, the SEC is going to have great regular season matchups, but it's all about the dollars, man. And those schools like Coastal Carolina and Central Florida, and, you know, we, we call them, unrewarded national champions for a reason it's it's always going to be that way they're never going to get a fair shake i don't care if you go to eight schools in a playoff because you're going to have at some point in my opinion these super schools moving out they won't even be in that that football playoff so what are we even looking at we're looking at two national champions for two different organizations that i i I foresee that happening in less than 10 years actually yeah i I think it's going to happen very quickly you know and you start to look like again Think about the disparity between turning around and staring at a team like Coastal Carolina that's returning 20 starters this year and saying, you could win every game by 30 points, you could go undefeated, and Alabama with two losses might actually get in ahead of you. And that's reality. That's not hypothetical. That's reality. We've watched things like this happen before. It's just not a level playing field. Great show tonight, Tom. Always Always fun talking football with Tom Barton and TomBartonSports.com. Talk about the website and talk about what you got lined up this week over at hashtag SGN. Yeah, guys, go check it out. The Wagering Week podcast. I talk about all kinds of stuff, especially NFL. I'm really diving in deep with what, what it means with Carson Wentz. You want to go check that out. But TomBartonSports.com, guys, go check it out. TomBartonSports.com. Major League Baseball is if you sign up now, you're going to get any preseason game that I give out. You're going to get any college football game that takes place in the next 30 days, all for less than $100. It's TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tommy, next Sunday, we're back at it with more college football previews, my man. All right, have a good one, guys. Remember, we are off next Saturday night due to Raiders football. So we'll be back Sunday night, one week from tonight, 10 o'clock. Right here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. For Mateo, Tim Ungles, we have a great sports week. 
We'll talk to you then. Good night. Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, KKGK Las Vegas.